I needed to not skate by for once in my life, and they didn't let me. At the end of the day, if you know that you don't feel good about the job, you got to be able to leave that behind. They just kept asking me to come back, and I truly love Milwaukee and Southeast Wisconsin. It's always great to be at WTMJ. This is WTMJ Conversations. Welcome to WTMJ Conversations. I'm your host, Libby Collins. Assistant Police Chief Nicole Waldner joined the Milwaukee Police Department in 1996, rising through the ranks. And she's currently the highest ranking woman in the department. And I have to ask you, is it true that when you were young, you really wanted to be a dancer? I really did. And I truly believed that I would be on Broadway. Seriously? Yes. Like from how how old were you when you started to really think that dream could come true? Well, it would be when I was probably at Roosevelt because it was middle school of the arts. So we danced about three hours a day and I was 12. So I had no real touch with reality and what being on Broadway meant. And um, then into high school, we were I went to Riverside High School and I was in the choir and the swing choirs and in all the musicals and plays. And so I still had hopes. But my mom's a teacher. She would always say, you have to have a plan B. She would never poo-poo my plans of being a dancer, but she would say, what's your plan B? Always have a plan B. So she knew I wasn't going on Broadway, but I still really thought I had a chance. What kind of dance did you really aspire to do? What, what excited you most? I really didn't even want to be a star. I just wanted to be the background dancer. I just wanted to be the background person that sang in harmony with the rest of the choir and do all the dance routines, have no lines whatsoever, because I did not want to be on the front of the stage. And I just wanted to dance. I love tap dance. Like, if I see someone tap dancing really well, I get chills. I love it. It's my favorite. But basic Broadway dancing from the regular musicals, you know, it's not one type of dance or another. I don't like ballet. It bores me. It's hard. And never ballet. You mentioned tap. I To me, that's more difficult than ballet or a more, you know, contemporary dance. It takes a great deal of discipline. It does. And I haven't taken tap dance since I was little. But my oldest son, who's now 20, I have three boys. So my dreams of one of my children picking up where I left off kind of ended. I thought, oh, my God, I got a world of sports and I got to travel to soccer and baseball and all of these things. But my oldest son is extremely talented. And he was actually in the Skylight Opera. He was in their rendition of Newsies. And so I was so excited for him to pick up where I left off. And he was in every major play and musical at a school. He was an awesome singer. He's a better dancer. And so I was really excited. And how that happened is in middle school, he played trumpet. And he didn't like his band teacher, and neither did I. And I said, we're getting out of this class. You're going to join choir. Girls like guys that can sing. And there we are. So I got to live through him. Have you told him what your mother told you? Have a plan B. Yes. Yeah. He's done with all things musicals now, and so he's going to school for nursing. But it's a great plan, and it's interesting that he picked up your talent and you're Mm -hmm. interested in that. Nicole, you grew up in, what, the 70s, 80s here in Milwaukee. What was it like? What were your experiences other than dancing and singing and being in plays a lot? What I miss about the Milwaukee I grew up in And I think anyone that grew up in this city will recall this. I miss living in the neighborhoods in which everybody was involved. So if my sister and I were out playing somewhere at some other kid's house on the block, all my mom had to do was go into the front porch, scream our names, 
And then through the neighborhood grapevine, it would get back to us wherever we were. And they'd say, your mom's looking for you. You've got to go home. Right. And then we would run home. And I miss this incredible sense of community you had growing up in Milwaukee in our neighborhoods. And I wish that I could. I tell my kids about it all the time because we don't have a lot of kids in our neighborhood. They don't have friends in our neighborhood growing up. Now they're all old, so it doesn't matter. But it's just a different environment now growing up in neighborhoods. And I wish that they could have seen what it was like. You could go play and you didn't have to worry. Right. And then you just came back home. When the streetlights came on, you better be back home. And that was like the rule of everybody. Streetlights on, go home. So I just miss the simpler way of life that we had before social media and the phones and connecting to people in these other ways that us older people don't quite understand. You grew up on the northwest side. Yes. And when did things start to change there? I grew up by Midtown Mall. And there's not much left in Midtown Mall, actually. But I grew up there, and there was some things changing. We would go to Capitol Court, and someone would try to follow us home. Or we would walk by Lincoln Creek, and then there'd be someone there. And when I was 12 and my sister was 11, we had swim practice at Marshall High School, which was about three blocks away from our home. And we walked in, and our house was burglarized. And that's when I was like, yeah, I don't like feeling this way. And so that's when things started to change for me. And I think that's actually when there was really no other option for me than to do the work that I do, because I did not like the way that I felt. And my sister handled it worse than I did. She had nightmares. She wanted to move, whereas I wanted to get them. What do you mean you wanted to get them? I wanted to find out who did this, took away my safety, arrest them, and put them in jail. So my sister and I are very different people. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations, another lieutenant said, well, of course, they always have to pick a female at the top. Assistant Police Chief Nicole Walder talks about dealing with discrimination from both civilians and her co-workers. You're listening to WTMJ Conversations. Welcome back. I'm Libby Collins. We're talking with Milwaukee's Assistant Police Chief Nicole Waldner. When that happened, Did your mindset of a career begin to change? I don't think I was aware that it was changing, but I did take that test in eighth grade that everyone has to take about what you should do. And it said law enforcement or military officer. And that's while I was in the School of the Arts. And then I took it again in high school and it said the same thing. And I actually took it once while I was on the job and I was looking for another degree Like, what else am I interested in? And I took that same aptitude test, and it said the exact same thing. So you started to feel somebody was pushing you there. The type of person I am, I just don't know what else I would do other than this. At what stage did you say, okay, I'm going to apply for the MPD? I graduated from college at the University of Minnesota, Twin Cities, with a criminology degree. And I thought I was going to go to law school and work for the district attorney's office. But after doing four years of school... I did not want to do any more school. I was done. I had had enough. I just wanted to work. So there was a police training school. In Minnesota, you got your certification first. So I applied for my master's degree at the U. And then I secretly applied for this other program to get certified as a peace officer, they call it, in Minnesota. And I got into both and then told my mom, sorry, I can't do this. I'm going to do this. And from there, she just started sending me all these job applications for coming home. You know, everything, Milwaukee, all the suburbs. I applied for St. Paul. I was on their list at some point. But this is the job I got first. 
So I came home. And how did you feel? There you are back in the city that you thought you were, you had left behind. And now you're in the police academy. This is going to make me sound so arrogant, but it's the truth. When I got the letter, my mom's like, you got in. What are you going to do? I said, Mom, I'm not coming back to Milwaukee unless I can be the mayor. So I'll start as police officer. But if I'm coming back to Milwaukee, I want to be mayor. Now that I'm more involved in politics, I do not want to be mayor <laughs> in any way. Do not. But that was my thought. Like, I'm not coming back to Milwaukee just to do this job. I want to excel. I want to be something in Milwaukee if I'm coming back home. You got on. You became a rookie officer. Mm-hmm. You're a woman. At that time, it was, what, 96? I got on the street in May of 97. Okay, 97. There weren't that many women on the department still, were there? There weren't very many female bosses. I will say that for sure. I had other female officers at my work locations, and that's kind of who you connect with as a female right away. But I didn't have very many female bosses. I started noticing women in law enforcement when I became the academy director in 2015, because then I have a class of 65. And when I only have five females in it, it's much more noticeable when I'm looking at this grouping. Right. As opposed to when I was on the street and doing the job and you're all in different shifts, you're all spread out in different districts. You don't get a a true picture. But when I was academy director, that's when I was like, we need more females. Did you ever have discrimination on the job because you were a woman? And I'm not just talking about the people that you worked with. I'm talking about even citizens when you were out doing your job. No, I don't think citizens. One time I was arresting someone, and he said, when I'm done with this case, can we go have dinner? And I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> I was like, no, that's not happening. But so the citizens, no, I didn't feel any different. But there were times where I took the lieutenant's test twice. The first time I didn't do so well. The second time I took it, I think I was third on the list. And another lieutenant said, well, of course, they always have to pick a female at the top. Ooh, ouch. So it wasn't because... I was actually good enough to be third. It was just because I was a female and they always pick a female to be in the top 10. Did you say anything to him at the time? No, he's not worth it. Still ahead on WTMJ Conversations. We've tried every avenue. We had the case reviewed by other researchers and things like that, but never developed a suspect and never brought closure. Assistant Police Chief Nicole Waldner talks about the cold case that still haunts her. Now, more of WTMJ Conversations. I'm your host, Libby Collins. Let's return to our conversation with Assistant Police Chief Nicole Waldner. Let's go back to being in the academy. How did you end up in that position where you were academy director? As a lieutenant, I was in the academy for a few months. And they asked me to come there because there was a vacancy. And I said, I'll come, but I don't want to teach. You know, my mom's a teacher. My sister's a teacher. My friends are teachers. I was like, I'm not a teacher. I'll come, but I don't want to teach. No, you don't teach. You don't teach. You just supervise. And by the first week, I was already in front of the classroom teaching. And I was like, okay, this isn't so bad. But then the promotion process came up for captain. And it was Chief Lynn at the time. And when he promoted me, he just kept me there. You said that it really struck you the first time you were in that class and you saw there were only five women there. Did that make you want to give them more encouragement or mentorship than maybe the male members of that class? So I had some female instructors as well. And we would always pull them aside and talk to them separately because the experience as a female is different than a man. How's it different? You don't have the support. So every time a female walks into a new work location, right, they're 
not from ground zero where everybody should be at, right? They're below that. They're like in the sub-basement. First, they got to prove themselves to be equal to the man and then go beyond that. Whereas if a man walks in as a new recruit to a work location, he's just another guy and women don't have that. So we would pull the women aside and just tell them what to expect and don't be in competition to be better than the guys. Just be the better version of yourself and just try to keep it in a more reasonable arena for success. I'm not in competition with everybody else on this job. I'm only in competition of being the best I can be. And I think we wanted them to see it that way. So we'd pull them aside and talk to them separately. So they had like the support system. When you'd get to the point where they'd graduate from the academy, Mm -hmm. did you feel a sense of pride, especially for the women that had gone through the classes? It wasn't specific to women, but there is definitely people that would go through the academy that I would think, oh, my God, I want you to be my police officer. If my mom needed the police, I want you to go to her house. You know, because some people just get it better than others. For some people, it's just a level of enforcement and follow the rules and and keep order. But for the police officers that I think Milwaukee needs, it's also like a certain level of understanding that not everything is easy. People have been through all different things in their lives, and you don't know what they are. So don't go there as an enforcement measure initially. You know, go there as a listener and talk to people like people, not enforcers, and help people solve problems. And if you can't, I think that's the number one frustration of officers. When they go somewhere and they can't solve it, right? You can't make an arrest. You don't know who to refer them to. It leads to a lot of frustration of not having enough resources. But if you just go there and show empathy and follow up, talk to them like a person. Those are the kind of police officers I want. And those are the kind of police officers that I want my friends and family to be able to call on. You worked homicide for a while. Yes. I can't even imagine what that would be like. The things that you would see, hear, realize that people had gone through. Did you find that as something that you took home with you? So homicide were, you know, it was always like as a detective, one day you wanted to get to homicide and I got there as a lieutenant. So once I became a lieutenant, I got to homicide and, you know, there was a little pushback because I didn't have a homicide experience as a detective, only drugs. And so they're like, what are you going to do? And I said, you guys, this isn't rocket science. It's super, super hard work. You have to be so diligent in homicide. Look through every little aspect of a case to figure out what happened. And it has so much meaning. And so when you're in homicide, I think to a certain extent, you kind of put your lenses on that you're there to help them figure this out and bring closure for this family. What I did have a hard time with, because I was late shift, we had the most amount of co-sleeping and baby deaths. Oh, That was hard. So it was the baby deaths. If I took anything away from me, I just didn't want to see... One more dead baby. I couldn't do that. You have to be so detail-oriented, particularly in something like homicide. How would you approach a case if you were the lead officer? Well, I never was the officer there, only the boss. Okay. So I just got to tell other people how I felt they should be doing their job, which is different. But luckily, our homicide unit is outstanding. The homicide detectives are there for a reason, and they really strive to figure every single homicide out and get someone in custody. 
So as the boss or as the lieutenant for these detectives, you know, that way it made things easier. I just had to keep them on track and make sure every single box was checked. It's a lot of, did you do this? Did you do that? And going back and forth with them. But really, they are the best. Did you ever have cases that they just couldn't find the right person? Yes. Ashley Love. She was killed. I don't remember what year it was, but it went unsolved. And we tried every avenue. We had the case reviewed by other researchers and things like that, but never developed a suspect and never brought closure. How frustrating is that? It was very frustrating for the detectives. They tried really hard, but still nothing. So it's a cold case right now? Yep. Any chance that you'll open it later? Cold cases are constantly looked at by our homicide unit. Constantly. We have two dedicated detectives to all cold cases who kind of look back and see if there's anything we didn't do that we could do now. Did technology change, right? Did science change that now we can regenerate some of these cases? So they're constantly looked at. We talk about walking in on a homicide scene, and it would be hard not to feel something. Mm -hmm. But police officers on a regular basis face those kinds of scenes, whether it's a well check where mm -hmm. somebody's been there too long, or as you said, situations with children especially, if they've been abused or there's malnourishment, how much PTSD do the officers go through in seeing these kinds of scenes? Well, in 2016, when I was the academy director, the captain before me had wrote a grant for a psychologist. So we found a psychologist and we started to create a wellness team. So initially, it was just me as the captain, a psychologist, and a peer support person. And rather quickly, we realized we needed many more resources. So we've developed this. I'd say our wellness team is one of the best in the country. We now have two psychologists, a chaplain, a peer coordinator. We revamped our whole peer wellness team, trained new people, gave them additional training. We're looking to expand that team. We have a facilities dog named Crush, who we bring all over the city with her handler just to really get cuddled all the time. She's by a off. therapy dog. Yes. She's a facilities dog is her technical. Her handler, Ben, he's an officer. He's my wellness coordinator. He brings her to all work locations. So say District 5 had a horrible incident. It can be anything, a bad accident, anything really. And so we're like, oh, Ben, District 5 early shift went through this. He's like, okay, I'll bring Crush there at roll call. Just so people can just pet her and cuddle her. And she's super, super cute. We're looking to expand that and get another dog. They're completely funded. Do you wish you had had that when you were first an officer? I'm glad I have her now. He even brings her up to our offices. And there's some days when it's a different kind of stress now as an executive. But even when I see her now, I'm just like, oh, she's so adorable. But people try to steal her time by buying her treats. <laughs> So, And they bribe her to come to their office because I won't give a dog treats instead of mine. We really expanded our wellness team because we just knew we needed it. Still ahead on WTMJ Conversations. When I was on the playground, we'd just have a fist fight. Nowadays, that's not what's going to happen. Someone's going to bring a gun. Milwaukee's Assistant Police Chief Nicole Waldner says everybody in Milwaukee seems to have a gun, even the kids. You're listening to WTMJ Conversations. And I'm Libby Collins. Our guest today is Milwaukee's Assistant Police Chief, Nicole Waldner. There was a slight decrease in some crimes in the city. Do you think that's a trend or is it an anomaly? I think it's way too soon to decide. 
I say this all the time. You cannot look at a year and say, oh, yay, look at us. You need five years to see that something actually changed. Because, you know, homicide shootings, sometimes those are hit or miss situations, right? They're based on luck. Because it's not like we have a bunch of sharpshooters in the city running around committing homicides. They're just either criminals versus other criminals with no training with guns, just wildly shooting at each other, right? You need to look. I always say, you got to give me five years and show me that there's a decline, just a little bit. It doesn't have to be a lot, but show me a trend in five years. But months aren't trends. Do you think that's one of the reasons that we're seeing fewer shooting gun deaths, but more cases of of people being injured by shooting because people are just wildly on the street shooting people? Like I said, it's a matter of luck. Did you shoot and this time you hit the right spot and he died? Or did you shoot and he got it in the leg and he'll be fine? Non-fetal shootings and homicide should be looked at together because they're literally a fraction of an inch apart for some people, right? Also, we do have really good medical response in this city. Plus, we have Freighter Hospital. So it's not just like the crime thing. There's all these things that have to be considered when you're looking at statistics. When I think you look at just numbers without looking at, at a time frame, I don't think you're getting the true picture. And then you got to think about the things that changed within those years. Like 2020, no one should count that year for anything. <laughs> it was FUBAR, right? 2020, cannot be counted in statistics. And even part of 2021 when we were all getting back to what we now consider normal. I want to see for us that every year we're getting better. And I want to see societal and cultural changes where us being this Milwaukee that's known as being this violent city is gone. I look back to Juneteenth Day as I was at Juneteenth and it was amazing. And This city has the longest-running Juneteenth celebration out of anybody else in this country. I got so many hugs that day, right? And it tells me, like, okay, as a department, we're doing better. Like, the chief's message is community, 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 and we're getting there. We're doing better, and I think people see that. In 2020, I wouldn't have gotten no hugs, but we didn't even have Juneteenth Day that year. But, you know, in the past, it wasn't like that. But now— I feel like people want to see better and they want working together. And so that's what Juneteenth Day was like. And then those last few minutes where that happened, that put Milwaukee on the national news about this thing. And I just feel like it's a complete discredit to the thousands of people that were at Juneteenth all day in peace, enjoying each other's company and celebrating that we became known for those last few minutes. Not that it wasn't tragic and horrible. It was. But that's not really the story of Juneteenth Day. Who are these people? And why do they feel that they have the freedom to pull out guns and shoot in in, in situations like that? Well, I think, unfortunately, we have now become this place where guns are literally everywhere. You know, it used to be in 1997 that if someone got a traffic stop and they got a gun and they got some drugs and they got a money, we'd all be like, oh, what'd you get? What kind of gun is it? Everybody has a gun now. Whether you have it legally, because now we have CCW and we didn't used to have that. And there's a lot of people that practice open carry and it didn't used to be that way. And then you have the people that just feel like they didn't have guns. And we're seen at a younger, younger age kids with guns because there are so many 
I just think for some reason guns have become this accepted culture. And just going out instead of having true conflict resolution, you just shoot each other. Whereas when I was on the playground, we would just fight, right? We'd just have a fist fight, whatever. Not mostly the girls, but the guys. But nowadays, that's not what's going to happen. Someone's going to bring a gun. Not only are they bringing guns, they're out there stealing cars. Yes. And I mean, you know what the situation is, even though statistically it says it's slightly down. Do you think that has to do with the up- updates with uh, software? That for maybe it's yeah, that maybe it's more difficult for them to break in. Therefore, there are not as many. So the Hyundai Kia thing is they did do updates. And then plus we gave away thousands upon thousands of clubs. So that is not the taste du jour right now. But still stealing cars is. And unfortunately, we're at this place where what are you going to do with all these car thieves? Most of them are kids. When it comes to that crime category, we have a lot of juveniles. And we just chased a stolen car a couple weeks ago, and the people inside the car were 26. And I was thinking, what are you doing? You're 26, right? This is something our 16-year-olds are doing, and you're 26 stealing a car. But unfortunately, a lot of times, too, we're making it too easy. People have got to stop pulling up and leaving their car running to run in somewhere and get something for a valet. We find that they're taking advantage of these situations. And it's not hard to find. Drive around downtown and see how many cars you see in front of, you know, restaurants or hotels with valets that are just sitting there running. People are taking advantage of that. We have to be better about our own personal safety because this is happening. The other thing we've noticed, typically it's a winter problem. People warm up their car and then they get stolen. But lately, we've had people leaving their cars running, and they're getting stolen. The quick runs in, like the DoorDash workers and all the Uber Eats and things like that, they're pulling up to a restaurant, running in, leaving their car running, saving time. But the reality is not. What about carjackings? Because that's another statistic that has risen. Why? Again, I think most carjackings, it's it's a, the opportunity. They Not not from the victim's point of view, but, the, but from the suspects at this point like this is the next thing and I don't understand it that's part of the problem is when we had the problems with the Kias and the Kia boys and all of that there were a bunch of videos out in the open for that it became a game and now we're seeing with the carjackings they're stealing one car drive it around and they take that stolen car to a different carjacking location and we're catching them because they continuously do it and the more you do something the more chances are you're going to get caught But now it's a matter of what's going to happen to them. Isn't it a problem, though, that a lot of the younger perpetrators Mm -hmm. are getting put back on the street pretty rapidly? And how frustrating is it to the men and women who are police officers when they see that? Well, the problem with the repetition, and we're just starting to start taking looks into, is it something we just hear anecdotally, or is it actually happening? Because anecdotally, that's what we hear all the time, right? But we got to see what's happening. The other thing is we're in this limbo of what the state's going to do with juvenile holding facilities. And there's only certain places they can go. And so when you're when the judges and the DAs of the juvenile court have to rate the crime that the juvenile is committing, where does this lie and where do we have space? So those are things like I'm not too up on, to be honest. But I think that once they start making decisions about the facilities, then we can all take a better look at it as a community. How is this going to help us? But right now, it just 
we haven't dug into the kids and if they got out, if they're on probation and still doing the same things. Is that a problem, though, for morale, for officers, that a lot of their work that they've put you know, a lot of effort into getting the people off the street, if they see them back on? I don't think it stands, though, for just kids. It's for anybody. When you do something and you think you have a good case and you think you did something good and they get next to nothing or it doesn't even go through the courts. But as a department, we have to ensure that we are doing the most complete investigation and complete reports. Like, I don't want to be the fault to be ours. So my expectation is that they're doing all they can in the investigation and they're writing it up properly. Like, no shortcuts. We have to make sure that we're doing our job right to hand over something to the district attorney so that they can charge it. And if the judge doesn't want to do the proper thing, then let it be on them. But I don't ever want it to be on us. Still ahead on WTMJ Conversations. They said, hey, did you hear there's this new national movement to have 30% of your recruit class be female by 2030? Milwaukee's assistant police chief, Nicole Waldner, talks about getting more women on the department. You're listening to WTMJ Conversations. Welcome back to our conversation with Milwaukee's Assistant Police Chief, Nicole Waldner. I'm your host, Libby Collins. As a woman, you've got to be excited about the 3030 initiative. I'm very excited about 3030. How did that come about? Currently, we are in the Collins Settlement Agreement, and we have a consultant, Criminal Justice Institute, and they told me about it. They said, hey, did you hear there's this new national movement, 30 by 30, to have 30% of your recruit class to be female by 2030? And I was like, no. And so they sent me some more information. I went on some webinars just to hear about it and to see who else. It has a list of departments on their website of who's participating, and there were already so many, and it had just started. So then I presented it to the executive staff. We're in this big recruitment push or have been for a while trying to get more and more officers. So the chief goes, okay, run with it. And I was like, okay, so we've done videos. We've done recruitment things. Um, We've had, we just had our very first all women law enforcement symposium. It was training just for women. In my 27 years, we have never done that. So it was a whole training day just geared towards women, how to balance work and life, right? Because women have to do that sometimes at a, <laughs> in a greater scale than the men do. And it was about being true to yourself. How do you be this woman and be this law enforcement officer at the same time? Um, we focused on wellness. We focused on professionalism. And it was the first time we had, and women could talk freely. So I did that with um, Captain Sharonda Grant. She's at District 5. She's like, I want to do this. And I said, okay, let's try. And so that training was just in September. And all the women said, we want more of it. So now we're planning our next one. So the goal of this is to get a a force of, what, 30% female? Well, the 30 by 30 initiative in their mission statements is 30% of your recruit classes. So that doesn't really address retention. So we've been trying to focus a little bit on retention. This class that just graduated, I think they had seven females. But we went to them and we had to sit down right before they got on the street. And so we found other officers at their work location that would check on them, make sure they're okay. And we're trying to start these relationships, these mentor-type relationships, so they don't feel alone when they get to the work location and they have somebody else they can relate to. So we're trying to work on retention as well because what we found when we surveyed, and I talked to the 30 by 30 Institute or the people running this, 
is that nationally there seems to be this thing where women start to wanting to quit. And it's this phenomenon they found as well, and we found it at our training, that within the first five years, women have thought about quitting and questioned if this is what they should do. And so we're now trying to give them people to talk to who have more time on that have passed that mark so they have someone to bounce these ideas off and they can think about if this is really what they want to do. Did you ever go through that yourself? Yes. I was about three years on. I think I had, maybe not even. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I should have went to law school like I thought I was. I studied for the LSAT, took the LSAT, got a score good enough to get in Marquette. And I thought, I do not want to go back to school. (laughs) And I don't want to pay Marquette tuition. So I was like, nope, I'm staying. And quite honestly, everything happens for a reason. Shortly after that, and I made my decision, this is not, I'm going to stick this out. This is what I'm going to do. I was transferred then to the drug unit shortly after that, where I made the best co-workers and friends that have lasted my lifetime since. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations. The higher you go, the more you're involved in <laughs> politics, and I just don't do that well. Milwaukee's assistant police chief, Nicole Waldner, reveals she'd ever want to be mayor of the city. Now, more of WTMJ Conversations. I'm Libby Collins. Welcome back to our conversation with Assistant Police Chief Nicole Waldner. 27 years on the department. Mm-hmm. Your Assistant Chief of Police. Mm-hmm. You said you only come back to Milwaukee if you could be mayor. What is it you really want? Because you're very goal-oriented. What's the next thing for Nicole Waldner? I don't know. I know it's not mayor. Like, I just know it's not mayor. The higher you go, the more... You protest too much. Yeah, the more you're involved in politics, and I just don't do that well. But, you know, as I got on the job and I started moving up, and I was like, no, I want to be assistant chief. I am the worker bee behind the scenes. Like, while the chief goes and he does his community events and things like that, I'm the worker bee. I'm like, chief, you go. You just go and do your thing, and then let me do my thing here. And he does. So that works out well. I do have to make a decision about what my next step is, and I don't know. When I was younger on the job, I was like, when I'm done, I'm not doing anything with law enforcement. I'm going to work at Home Depot during the summer in their plant section. I'm going to help people pick out paint in the winter, and I'm going to help them with plants in the summer. And I was like, I'm going to go to Home Depot. And then someone just said to me, oh, the assistant chief, Paul Formolo, He's in charge of investigations. Him and I are in the same recruit class. And he goes, you could never work at Home Depot. You are too bossy and you you are high needs, high growth, something. He said you would never last there. And I go, oh, that's true. I could run Home Depot, though. If I could run Home Depot, I'd go to Home Depot. So I don't know what's next for me. My kids don't want to leave the city. We've never known anything but living in the city. Me, my kids. So, and I've never been anywhere other than this diverse, like wonderful, cultural, amazing place. So I don't know what else is next for me that has all the things that Milwaukee does. I have to figure it out. There might be people out there who want you as mayor someday, Nicole. No, I, hey, I support our mayor. Emily, you can have it. I I do not want this. Nicole Waldner, thanks for joining us. Mm -hmm. We've been talking with Milwaukee's Assistant Police Chief, Nicole Waldner. We found out how she once wanted to be a dancer on Broadway, but she ended up right here in Milwaukee as a police officer. 
We also found out what our aspirations really are. Now, if you joined us late and you want to hear our entire conversation with Nicole Waldner, go to WTMJ.com and share today's show with your friends and family. You'll also find a partial transcript courtesy of eCourt Reporters. For WTMJ Conversations, I'm Libby Collins.